Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Phoenix Rods and Electric Fishing. Today we have John Jones from a lock, I think it's a Lock Howl Ranch. They do lake management in Texas, so they raise, uh, if someone wants a pond, they'll go in there and they'll stock everything and also raise trophy-sized bass. So it's cool to get them on. It was a Zoom call, and uh, I'm trying to work through those. I, I, <laughs> they're, they're super hard for me. I don't know why. So uh, it was it was a fun one though. He answered a lot of cool questions, and um, he had a lot of good points on on fish uh, management, handling, uh, stuff like that. So I hope you guys like this one. It was a lot of fun. Today I have Big Rob, which is going to be a great one. He's got a ton of history. He's been around for a long time. And um, check out the Patreon. Stray Rats is a sponsor this month. Each um, each tier has a chance at one. On the second tier, so the first tier has a chance at a rat. Second tier adds a chance at the bluegill glide. Second tier also gets a chance at a couple other baits just because I haven't been able to put up videos. So I want to give you guys something back for uh, signing up for that bigger tier. appreciate it. It helps pay for uh, the trip to Yuma, all kinds of stuff. So uh, thank you guys very much for supporting that. Also, check out our amazing sponsor, Electric Fishing. Check out the code CC30 with 30% off. On your glasses, it's Father's Day this weekend, so you should buy them today if you can. Go buy the Stacker. Great glass. Um, my wife says I look like a fat pit bull on them. So, yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 they're a really good glass a set of glasses, and uh, lenses are amazing. So, please check out this little piece from them. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Again, check out the code CC30 for 30% off. Um, amazing glasses, a stacker. Once again, look like fat pit bull like me. <laughs> what else do we got going on? I'm going to Yuma next weekend, which should be great. I have five amazing guests lined up. 
fun episodes. Um, we got the charter on the 22nd. Thank you to the people that donated. I had a couple big sponsors. Um, one of Shane's buddies threw some cash in. Uh, Caesar threw an amazing amount of uh, cash in, and so did Shannon Perkins. So thank you, Toxic and Shannon Perkins, and uh, Wacom Bates too as well. So we're able to get these kids a. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to be able to have give them a soda, a meal, something you know when they're on the boat uh, fishing, and hopefully uh, it helps some of these kids out get into fishing more and get out of uh, you know gang life and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, check that out. I guess you can, you'll see a video of it. I have like-minded fishing filming it. So it's going to be great. Um, the YouTube, I'll be back on it soon. I just haven't had the time. Been very busy with uh, life and uh, scheduling guests. And it's hard because, you know, I'll, I'll go and schedule a big month of them. And then I'll come home and I, I get stuck behind scheduling the next month. So I'm just trying to keep up afloat. So I'll get on the YouTube as soon as I have the time. And, um... I think that's about it. I think August will be four years. I'm trying to put together a cool episode with two really uh, big guests and try to have them talk and break down their swim bait theory and their fishing theory, which I think will be pretty cool. It'll be in studio. Maybe we'll do it somewhere, you know, and have people there and can listen to the podcast or maybe we'll just do it in studio. I don't know. Who knows? So please check those things out. Give us five stars on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. Our positive review would be great as well. And uh, check out Phoenix Rods at your local tackle shop. And check out Electric Fishing. Once again, CC30, you get that 30% off. Thanks, guys, for listening. All right, welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today, we have not the fighter, but the fisherman, John Jones. <laughs> a better looking one maybe <laughs> i bet you get so many people confusing right uh you yeah know? a lot of people uh but yeah we, we have some dissimilarities in how we look <laughs> i bet <laughs> <laughs> um john i think your uh assistant reached out to me and and i i'm like wow this would be an interesting one and i haven't really done anyone that deals with the actual fish management so i'm very <laughs> excited to talk to someone that does that. So kind of explain to everyone what you do. Well, I own a private lake management company here in uh, central United States. We manage um, a, a lot of our ponds and lakes uh, throughout the states and, and do a lot of work with government agencies uh, on aquatic invasive species and, and also do a lot of work with, with pond and lake construction. So uh, basically anything to do with ponds and lakes. Um, from the fish to uh, surveys to management to design. That's the sort of thing we do. Uh, do you do just one state or do you do multiple states? Uh, most of our work today is Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Okay. With obviously Texas uh, being our primary focus since I live here. Okay. what? Uh, how did you get into this? I thought I was going to be a pro fisherman. Um, <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't pan out very well. Uh, or maybe better. I don't really know. But uh <laughs> I lived up by, I lived all over the United States, but lastly, uh, sort of by Lubbock and, and a friend of mine was going to A&M and, and I was scrolling through the catalog and, and I got to the catalog, uh, the last pages of College of Wildlife and Fisheries. And, and uh, there was a, a uh, degree in fisheries management and recently, uh, or pr prior to that, somebody had said, if you love what you do, you never work another day in your life. I was like, you know, I love fishing. <laughs> and, um, 
is a degree in fisheries management has got to make me a better fisherman. And so uh, that's how I came to be at A&M. It turned out that I might have been a pretty good fisherman for Lubbock, but I wasn't very good. And um, this, this, uh, but this, this hits all the right buttons for me. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, how long have you been doing this for now? Mm, since '98. So okay, so a while. Yeah, almost 25 years, I guess. I lost um, my youth and my hair while doing it. <laughs> hey, I'm with you on that too. <laughs> Same thing. Lost all the hair too. Um, yeah. So uh, you know a lot about. So the cool thing is, is you actually know. You fish, and you mm-hmm. know what you need to take to make a trophy fishery, kind of, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, like, a lot of the, the people talking say that Texas is going to bring out the big, the next big bass. Uh, why do you think that is? Well, I've already surveyed lakes bigger than the current state record, so I'm not sure what you qualify as a big bass. We see lots and lots of double digits and teens bass. Um, I consider anything in the teens to be pretty good size. Um, but I think anywhere can grow that fish. If you're talking about public water, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have less of an opinion about that. Certainly um, my counterparts over at, at Parks and Wildlife and the Fisheries Management Department, there's some great folks over there and, and they do great work. Um, they certainly been doing a lot with the genetics and with the share lunker program and and uh, there's some really exciting stuff to do there uh and what they are doing is exciting uh and i obviously am focused more in the private world and and to get it to get a big fish there is not that hard you just have to do the same boring thing for about 12 years and people don't lose focus um but but growing big fish is not hard it's like growing you know big cows or big people you just got to eat a lot and be comfortable and it doesn't take long to pack on the pounds What's the main food source you guys like to feed the fish and dump them up? Um, well, again, you know, there's a, that's a, depends on what you're trying to do in a, in a, in a well-balanced lake that you're not going to spend a lot of money managing. You want time to do it. You'd like bluegill to be your primary source of forage. Um, after that, probably threadfin chat would be my number, would be my number two. Um, there's lots of ways that you can make it happen a lot faster by putting in gizzard chat or goldfish or, or golden shiners or, or crawfish or even exotic stuff like prawns and, and trout. But a good balanced fishery starts with a good bluegill or sunfish population. Yeah. What's your, uh, like the most, the lake you're most proud of, the private lake, like where you built some big fish, you know? Um, you're going to see some stuff highlighted on our website over the next year or two, some interviews with some, some really neat projects. Um, I love starting projects from the ground up for when there was just dirt and, and unusable land or, or underutilized land and, and turning it into something. But there's a, a, a family down in El Campo that does some really neat stuff with their fish. Um, certainly there's a couple in East Texas that we do. And, and, you know, there's projects that people are aware of like La Perla down you know, south of uh, Laredo that, you know, get a lot of press. And then there's a lot of places that you're never going to hear about um, <laughs> that uh, has this, this has some ridiculous fisheries. And again, think- most of those pr- are not, th- those places are the product of, of solid, boring management year over year. But it, it would stun you to, to see the difference. How long does it take to grow a double digit? Um, from a, from a fingerling? 
Yeah. If you push the envelope, um, done it in a little, I think just under three years. Um, so I generally would shoot for four if, uh, if, you know, as an average lake is to have 10 pound bass in four years. If, if you're in a hurry and, and, um, and, and it's a priority, then we'll shoot for three. So three years, you can get something to 10 pounds in a, in a, in a perfect scenario. No, not so much perfect, but in a well-managed and intentionally watched scenario. You know, people don't realize that a that a um, lake is a, a lot like a pasture. So if I went and I bought a bunch of cows or sheep and threw them on a 100-acre pasture and just let them go and came back in four years, what would I have? Well, you know what? You don't know. Um, if you had a 100-acre pasture and you bought those same cows and sheep and you put them out there and you got the right cows or sheep that put on a lot of weight and that you um, you want to um, do things to make the grass better. You want to feed, you want to fertilize the grass, you want to water the grass, you want to uh, exterminate the coyotes, you want to get rid of the scrub brush and lo and behold, you can have uh, some really good animals. And the same thing goes for fish. And so to have 10 pound bass in three or four years is simply not an issue. But you're going to need to look at your fishery, and by look, I mean electrofishing survey four or six times a year, and that's how you're going to get uh, the answers you need. What's the biggest nuisance when you're doing a, fi- a fishery like that in the water? Um, today, probably otters. Um, you know, otters, um, unfortunately, um, are a, a top-end predator, so they start with your largest bass and work backwards, and and, um, and so they're, they're certainly a nuisance species. Um some of the fish eating birds eat the bait. So instead of, instead of affecting the big fish directly, they'll eat what they eat, which also reduces growth. Um, so cormorants and pelicans and and that sort of thing. Um, but then, you know, water quality is probably the single largest driver on, on management. And so, um, managing the water quality and, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the plants around with the water quality is, is what you generally are, are, going to find as a nuisance as a as a homeowner what and are there do you get the like golden algae blooms you get stuff like that ever oh it fell out huh say that again do you ever get the like golden algae blooms you ever heard of those they get them in texas are they in arizona yeah they're, they're pretty fatal so um you know Generally, golden algae, it's my belief that golden algae is in every pond and lake in the state. Um, it's not shared by all biologists, and I understand that. Uh, but we generally don't see um, toxic blooms until we get to a certain level of um, salinity or, or maybe easier measure of be conductivity. Um, and so if you want to avoid those, it's kind of hard to avoid in a, in a public body of water because you have what you have, but in a private body of water, you want to manage the water quality. So you keep the salinity below the threshold that um, would cause a toxic bloom to thrive. Yeah. Because I know I talked to some guys that fish uh, Arizona and they have like Canyon Lake and I guess there's a string, a string of lakes that have this every, you know, five or six or seven years and it keeps killing everything off. And I'm just wondering, man, is there a way to fix that publicly? Publicly? Um, no, probably not publicly. No. Um, it's been around since longer than we've been around. Um, some of the things we do as, as, as man and as humanity affect the salinity. Um, and so you can take a water that's kind of saline and, and increase it by 
not letting it go downstream and getting saltier and saltier over over the years. Uh, but to date, what I've seen is is um, toxic blooms at a certain level of salinity. And, and on a public body of water, I think that would be pretty hard to manage out of it. There are treatments for it, um, but it's incredibly expensive and repetitive. And so if it was a one-time cost, I think you could look into it. But as today, I, I don't think most of the treatments are practical long-term. Yeah, that's that's a sad thing to see some of these lakes go down, you know, public ones especially. But you I know, mean, you know, yeah, but but no, you know, the environment is what it is, and and um, and I find it better not to fight about fight things that you can't change. So instead of putting a lot of management in, in that with today's technology, I'd take that same management time or dollar and put it in a different body of water. And again, I normally find it to be boom or bust. There are places where. It happens every year, but a lot of them you'll get two or three years uh, in between kills and you manage it slightly differently because of those frequent kills. Um, but uh, I would, um, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not too much. It's just there, you know, yeah. it just is. And I, I wouldn't sweat too much about it. In the private world, there are things that you can do. Again, they're expensive, but um, it's water quality management is a long-term problem with long-term solutions. So you have to think in terms of, of years and decades and not days and weeks. Yeah. Um, here's a question you always get a debate about from everyone is that um, people say you got to kill the bass to make the bigger ones. Sometimes there's too many. What's yep. your opinion on that? Um, you know, 10 years ago, I say a hundred percent, 20 years ago, hundred percent. That's the case today, you know, with other top end predators like otters, there's a lot of harvest being done for you, but yeah, most lakes that we manage have some sort of uh, management plan to pull out the smaller fish. You need to remember that a lot of times the fish that you're going to catch in a public body of water that's 12 inches or even a private body of water 12 inches long, well, it could be one year old or it could be 10 years old. And so um, I think I think that you'll want to, uh, you just need to know that those aren't necessarily young fish with a lot of growth potential. If it's a 10-year-old fish, it's a pound. It's never going to be a great fish from a, a trophy size. You know, there's a there's a movement to get away from the word trophy nowadays. We'll say a large size fish. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where I stand on that yet. But the um, but a, a fish that's been stunted and grown poorly for for years is never going to be a great fish as far as uh, top end size. So part of the the reason you'd probably do a kill off on some of these smaller ones is some of them might be those 10 year old fish you got to get rid of. Right. Yeah. I mean, remember, no matter what you're doing, you're only affecting a part of the population. So, um, yeah, I, I would never sweat pulling out small fish, fish less than 15 inches and in almost any body of water, um, is generally going to make it healthier. Do you, uh, have like breeders fish that are, are really big that you keep breeding over and over? Um, yeah, that's dumb, but that's unnecessary. Again, I, I'm in a, I'm a minority of biologists about this. Um, I, I think that quality genetics uh, is not – the reason we don't grow tons and tons of large fish is not because of genetics. Uh, it's usually because of environmental and environmental factors. And so uh, I think genetics play a lot smaller part of it than uh, a lot of folks do. Um, and I think – Manipulating the habitat and the food structure makes a much bigger difference than worrying about that. And a, a 
you know, exclusion to that would be that I believe that all bass should be pure Florida bass. So, uh, really, if you wanted to grow big fish, yeah. Wow. And so you usually stock your ponds with pure Floridas, then? Basically, yeah. Yeah. And are you written out? Did you raise these? Like, like, uh, do you have certain ones you pick from, and a, a, a you know, a genetic background? It's, it's like, you know, people would like to believe it's that, you know, that I'm taking the 200 class. <laughs> buck and mixing it with the super dough and doing that and and there's some there's some companies out there doing things like that again as a guy that sees a lot of lakes i'll say the environment has a lot to do with it but if you want to grow big fish you better start with florida genetics okay so to you the whole purpose of this is more of like you got to feed them more than you know like like you said like anything else like cattle you feed them the right you know amount of food right you feed us with ribeyes every day and (laughs) <laughs> yeah, our six pack starts to go away. And the same thing goes to, to fish. Put food that they like in front of them, where every time they turn around, it's there, and you're going to grow big fish. And they only get so big unless you got Florida genetics. But but um, you know that that's that's the way to grow big fish is to have lots of food. What's the biggest fish you've grown? The biggest bass I've personally weighed has been nineteen one. Wow, that uh, so you know that there's going to be a twenty something in one of these lakes. Sooner or later. I've seen fish that I believe are bigger that have not gone in the boat, but generally, you know, to fish in the teens are going to be in a lake that have a lot of fish in the teens. Um, you'll find a big one here and there in a less well-managed lakes, but um, if you get the conditions right, there's no reason to have one big fish. There'd be lots of big fish. It's about the conditions and, and making sure that you're providing an environment that grows big fish. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing because I always... I mean, in California, we the management's gone down a lot. Like where we used to have trout stockings a lot, we don't have them. Some of these big fish lake, like Castaic, are just not there anymore, you know. And I don't know how we're going to fix that at all. But you know, it, it's cool to see Texas kind of come on the up and up as well. Do you think what other states you think have that other potential or of lakes that you've worked on? You know. Um, look, I, I don't think any lake is immune from growing. Uh, trophy fish. I think that the world record's hard to do. I think it could be done in a private lake pretty easily, um, but I think people get bored, and people that you know that have the means to do that sort of thing have a hard time focusing for 13 years. And I think it's hard to manage at a high and, and an intense level for 13 years and not have some sort of catastrophe or step backwards that resets the clock. So don't forget. 12 years you know it takes a long time it's a yeah. long time to do anything well and you've worked with a couple clients for 12 years oh yeah absolutely but not all of them uh, to be dedicated to growing what you're talking about is different than just having a great lake for 12 years so it's two totally different uh two totally different lakes have you had any clients that have wanted to build that over the 12 years you know like the big fishery oh yeah but yeah. again most get bored you know, so like any hobby, you get a new fishing reel and you love it for a couple of days, weeks, or months, or years. But then there's a new thing that comes out and gets your focus. So once you're better than all your neighbors, a lot of times people lose focus. <laughs> now, as a fisherman, what do you use to target the large fish? What do you think works the best? Since you you know these fish pretty much inside and out, some people say swim bait, some people say jigs. What's your opinion on that? You'd love this. I use a, a Zoom speed crawl about 50% of the time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I use Berkeley power worms, believe it or not. 
and I um, I use a couple of different creature baits. Um, and that's what I do. I'm, I'm pretty limited in my tackle box. We have folks here that you know, fish competitively and has 75 rods and you know boats full of tackle. But uh, I generally my fish are captive, right? They're inside of a pond. I know where they are. They aren't going anywhere. So um, I've surveyed enough lakes to know where the fish are likely going to be, and, and um, I say throw the same boring thing because I frankly could care less if I catch a monster fish or not. I just enjoy fishing. I, I've been fortunate to hold hundreds, if not thousands of double digit fish. So, Yeah, that's, um, that's, I don't know many people that have done held that many, you know what I'm saying? Even just shocking them up. Do you have those, um, those outliers where, where fish are growing like a lot quicker, uh, things are changing and you don't know why, you know what I'm saying? So you'll go to that lake, you'll be like, I do this on every other lake, but this is just driving for some reason. No, it's usually the opposite. You do the same things you do in every other lake, and you have one that doesn't grow as well. <laughs> no, lakes that have lots of big fish don't happen by accident. So that just doesn't happen. Yeah, no, I just always wonder, you know, like what what uh, like what it takes. Everyone wants to know. And I mean, it's you real get- simple. It's, it's put as much nutrients as you can in the water without killing the fish. That can be in the form of fertilizer. That can be in the form of pelleted fish food. You want to grow lots of bait, takes 10 pounds of bait to grow one pound of bass. Take accepting any um, peaks and valleys in the growth to be a 10 pound fish, you're going to have to eat at least 100 pounds of bait. But the truth is, many fish will eat many more pounds than 100 pounds of bait over the course of their lifetime, but they're going to have peaks and valleys, so they're never going to grow. They're going to get to five pounds, then they go down to four and a half, then they go to six, and then they go to five and a quarter, and then they go to five and a half, and then they go to five. And you have the seesaw effect in that, what I said, going back to having big fish, you you need to have continuous growth for a long period of time. Yeah, that's got to be the hardest part, <laughs> for sure. Um, so... Do you deal with any other fish in, in these? And you'll, you'll raise the bluegill, or are you just kind of stock them and they go? Do you keep track of those? Uh, as well? There's lakes where people want to have big bluegill, and you know, two or three, four pound bluegill, big bluegill, of course. A two pounder, I think, is a nice size bluegill. Uh, the, uh, you know, every lake's different. We have places where we do trout every winter. We have places where uh, hybrid striped bass, one of my favorite fish, um, you know, great value, and they attract eagles, and there are a lot of neat things about them. Um, you know, obviously everybody always says they want crappie. Rarely do people fish for them, but um, they all, all would like to have them. And so, yeah, our our business is not focused on just trophy bass management. It's more um, tailoring the fishing experience and the aesthetics to what the customer's looking for. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
Yeah, that's that's great. But I mean, it's cool to hear from you because you're like that's your your main hobby is the large mouth, and you know you used to actually be an angler, so this like a, a competitive angler. So it's, it's kind of cool to hear a different side of the story. Well, you're, you're uh, also. Well, I realize where I sit in competitive angling is about level one, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't try that as Yeah, but it's still cool to hear, you know, someone that you don't get a lot. Of, I mean, you'll get some DFG guys or some department fishing games, but not someone that's like super hard into fishing. You know what I'm saying? Right. Where like you are, do you do you get involved? You'd be surprised, you know, at parks in Texas, parks where I live, where I live, and multiple the fisheries biologists are are really into fishing. You know, and and I always but bemoan the fact that there's not a better conduit for the fishermen and the fishery biologists to to get together because you know there's a lot of information that fishermen could use i I see on the local forums and different things stuff that fishermen spout is fact and is totally inaccurate and i don't get into internet you know fact wars that's there's no winners in that but um (laughs) but you know i I think i hope over time that um fishery biologists and fishermen can get in the same room and realize that very few people that are fishery biologists gotten up into that field without loving fishing first. And so they're actually all on the same team. Now there's other forces at play, you know, budgets and, and, and economics and politics and, and, and um, different things like that. But deep, deep down, most of the fishery biologists I know that work for the state um, started with loving fish and fishing. What are some big miscommunications that anglers have, you think, on um, on some of those things that you hear that people say about, oh, this is why this is happening or this is why, you know what I'm saying? Well, they always take two. Well, that's that. I shouldn't say that. I'll be right back in the group I'm criticizing here. But, you know, being too simplistic about cause and effect, you know, um, here in Texas, um, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the weeds at, in certain lakes and whether or not spraying for exotic invasive species um, are, are causing some of the weed problems or lack of weeds or whatever, whatever you want to call that. And, um, you know, just generally a lot of misinformation. I would say it's more like telephone. So a person will say, hey, you know, they're spraying Roundup on, on this and it's making all the hydrilla go away. Well, let's just be clear. Roundup can't do anything to hydrilla. Okay. Hydrilla is a submerged plant and Roundup is something that affects emergent plants. So you could, I don't know that I, I might be a little inaccurate in saying this, but you could dump totes of it off the side of your boat and it's not going to do anything to hydrilla. Yeah. But a lot of times people put cause and effect there. So when you're treating exotic invasive species, um, usually you're using herbicides that are going to have zero effect on submerged species. Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I'd go on and on, but you know, tournament mortality. Um, you know, one that's of the a good I like, one. I'd love to hear about that. That's a that's a great one. I think a lot of tournament mentality is very delayed, you know. And so when uh, when you kill a fish, a lot of times it's not that day. It's 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 you know a long time down the road. And there's a lot of things been done in the last twenty years to reduce or eliminate tournament mortality, which I'm happy about. Um, you know, I don't want to see a fish in ninety degree water get into a live well and be trucked around all day. And then weight and, and and all those other things that happen you'll stress it out and the fish may or may not die um, but but trying to reduce fish we don't haul fish in the summer there's a reason we're professionals and we don't haul fish in our trucks why because um, the margin of safety is a lot thinner um, another thing is is handling fish with with dry hands it makes me sick when i watch folks 
um, you know, go and grab a fish that's coming into the boat and they touch it with a dry hand and throw it on a dry carpet. People don't realize that a, that a fish's slime is, is more, is more like our skin. Okay. And so throwing a fish on dry carpet or, on, or with your dry hands, um, is like me taking a, a red hot pet poker and burning the side of your arm with it. And they're constantly doing that. And I wish we could get that out there that to stop doing it, to get your hands wet first. And you're going to, you're going to save uh, a lot more fish. I can't tell you the hundreds, if not thousands of fish I've shocked over the years that have perfectly formed handprints on the side of the fish from somebody picked it up, oh, caught God. it with a dry hand and threw it back. And you can't see the, 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 um, fingerprints obviously but it almost looks like you can it's that distinct um so little things like that just they're just miscommunications um and they they're they start because people are passionate about what they're doing so i don't fault uh folks for being passionate about it but it'd be nice if if a lot of times we could get people on the same page about really why things are happening and it's never as think as simple as as you would like to think, you know, um, that the world's a complex place and, and mother nature or God or what, you know, whatever your thing is, um, is very, very complex. And it's rarely so simple as like, we could have big bass if all we did was this. Well, that's generally not the case. Do you have an opinion on boat flipping? Boat flipping. The bass, you know, when they flip the, the bass into the boat, how, how do you think that affects them? I just think, uh, a fish, as much as possible um, should be touched with dry hands or with a wet hands or with a wet environment. So I guess that's my opinion is I don't want it to touch anything dry. If I can help it. Do you think that, but when, you know, you see a lot of anglers will flip the fish onto the boat. Do you think that like, is like messing them up? Like you're flipping it into the air onto the, you know, boat and sure it's, you try to, to let it down softly, but it, it's gotta be like, if I threw you up in the air and dropped you, it's going to fuck you up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, well, yeah, you don't want to drop me from very high. It hurt. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I would say probably dry hands are even worse than that. So really? lifting oh. the bass and hanging, hanging the bass off the jaw, you know, that's rule number one. Don't do that. Hang it straight up and down, support it with his belly. Yeah, I understand that the picture isn't as nice, but the fish will be healthier. It takes a long time to grow a big fish. And if we kill them halfway through the process, you know, that, that's a bit of a bummer. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I don't watch enough flipping to tell you. I have seen it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but I do know that if, it, if the carpet's dry, it's probably just as bad as you touching it with your dry hands. You don't want it to touch anything dry. Wow. That's that's a whole nother subject. Um, mm -hmm. What about live well um, keeping the fish, you know, <laughs> healthy the correct way in a live well do you have any recommendations for that like stuff additives anything like that you'd like to see you know, I, you know, generally we we haul with salt so we use two handfuls of salt per 100 gallons of water um i don't know how that would work in a live well probably not well because i assume you have the live well pump on all the time um you know not i would say pretty simple stuff like don't crowd too many fish in the live well that's number one um the uh, second thing would be to um, I'd say number one, don't crowd too many fish in the live well. Two, maybe don't do it in the middle of July on Amistad. You know, it's it's just too hot, and um, that's an opinion. Um, and you know, everybody's got one, and so you know, do, at the end of the day, do as you please. But me personally, 
we just stopped hauling fish in, in July and August and early September because it's just too hot. That's the, one of the good, big killers for them is when you haul them, they're, they're going to you die eventually, you think. We have to warranty our fish. So, you know, it's a business decision for me. I think it's too risky. <laughs> right. Um, do you think there should Although, be a... you know, frankly, look, if you're right to harvest, you know, a bunch of fish, so if they die and you eat them, well, you know, they die and you eat them. That's okay, too. Yeah. Do you think there should be a certain size for a live well? So, like, say uh, you want to see a certain size live well for these five fish when people are fishing tournaments or... I am... Um... I'm a personal freedom sort of guy, so no, I probably don't. I don't want to see anything mandated. I'd say I'd like to see, I'd like to see fishermen become more educated in this and the quarry that they that they chase, and um, and understand, you know, how to mitigate risk as much as possible. And that may be a, a bigger live well or less fish in there or fishing a different season, or, you know, whatever that is. At the end of the day, if the, if the regs say that you can harvest five fish from a lake and one dies and you eat it. Well, awesome. You know, good for you. <laughs> it's like how many times do they eat it. Do you eat largemouth ever? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, you like it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And there's a big common misnomer. You know, I can't tell you the number of people say they can't eat largemouth or gross or you know whatever it is. And and you know, I would dare somebody to come over and have fried fish at my place and tell me the difference between crappie, largemouth bass, and grass carp. If I fried them all up in the same size um, chunks and fed them to you, you know, uh, I, I don't think you're going to be able to tell the difference. So I, you know, I, I say I probably mostly eat uh, largemouth. Well, it makes sense too, because you got to, you got to do kill off sometimes. So it's something you have at hand as well, right? We harvest tens of tens and tens and tens of thousands of fish a year. So absolutely. Do you get to work with uh, the lake management at all, or do you have any uh, association with them where you'll go in and, and uh, kind of give them your, your uh, piece, you know, what you think? As far as the state? For the state management, yeah. Uh, I, I'm involved with, um, you know, some boards and committees and things, and so as a stakeholder, and, and so um, and have a good working relationship with some agencies and, and – um, so yeah, I think generally we, we discuss management strategies. There's there's a, a little bit of difference. Is generally private has more money per acre to work with and has more flexibility and has more tools in the toolbox. Whereas in the state, you have to look bigger picture and longer term because the water bodies are are larger and then generally speaking, the budgets per acre are less. In your opinion, now I, these are just things because I feel like you're so involved with this. Uh, a, what is the main thing that the state should be looking at, like different states in California, wherever it might be, to make sure your fisheries thriving? You know what I'm saying? Well, that's a pretty big question that I'm probably not qualified to answer. I'm excited about some of the things they're doing um, here in, in Texas, the Sherlunker program and improving the genetic process. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening with urban fisheries that I think is, is pretty neat, especially um, – they can flesh out some of that stuff long-term, give more people places to fish. Um, the, um, you know, I think top-end predator management as far as the, the, the birds and, and otters and things like that are, are going to be challenges long-term. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever those are solved, there'll be a new challenge. That's the beautiful thing about what we do is, is as managers is you're constantly 
given the new set of parameters to deal with and you do the best you can with that. The Lunker Share program, uh, from what I understand, is they take those big fish and they kind of keep them in a pen and breed them. Well, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think that's that's the better way for the the, the large lakes to kind of get those big fish back in there? Since you're saying, you know, it's, it's a little better just to feed them more. You kind of get what I'm saying? Um, well, I think that if you have native bass, they only have a certain amount of size potential. So I think putting in more of those adults that are known to grow big fish or the fingerlings from those adults has, um, has great benefits. You know, if you really want a big fish, you'd go to big lakes and you'd kill them and start them from scratch. Cause you know, the, the first five, six, seven years uh, up to 12 years are going to be magical. And, and everything after that's going to be a percentage of that. It's not going to be as good. So the reality is, is most fisheries should be, if it could be, could be restarted more frequently. Wow. That's, that's a crazy thing to think about if you did fish somewhere and you're like hey let's kill this whole lake off because we're going to restart it but then again yes, some- I, well, I think we should kill at, if we were to survey 19, uh, 20 lakes I think that we should kill 19 of them and start from scratch wow they're that bad huh well just no not that bad but if your goal is a good healthy so- young fishery just renovating it and kill you know renovating is the right word to say I like to see those fish go somewhere so you don't have to um, you don't have to kill the fish. You could drain it down and fish could be moved to urban lakes. They could uh, be used in fish fries. Uh, once you put toxicant in, of course, what's left is, is no longer usable. But uh, renovation is an underutilized tool, just like in a fire used to be an underutilized tool for forestry managers. So you're, when we talk about cycles and people talk about fish cycles, you think 12 years is the cycle for fishery? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what your definition of cycle is, but I'd say that you're getting all the growing you're going to have in, in 12 years. And so generally that will be your peak and you'll just go backwards from that. I think it's and in California. I mean, we're, we're in a, such a different state, like with the fishing and the lakes being closed and you can't fish, you know, at night. Right, some, right. Of these, uh, some of the lakes closing down in California, you know, the water. And, uh, the water. Oh, you don't some, have any water. Some of them don't have water too low. Um, and some of the big fish fisheries, we just don't see it anymore. But I think it's the trout stockings. We don't get them, you know, like we had before. A lot of them, you know. And do you think the striper really make a big effect on the largemouth? Uh, a striper? Yeah, I'd say a striper would. Um, in Texas, we stock hybrid stripers that are sterile and they eat a pelleted fish feed. And I would say, no, those do not. Okay. And we have a lot of striper lakes as well. So that's probably another reason it could be an issue, you know. Um, so you're generally saying in California the fisheries are declining, is your opinion? It seems like it. It seems like it. I mean, people are still catching big ones, but not like before, you know. But then we talk about stockings and fish management, and uh, some of the, the guys go out and they'll go shock and they'll see some big ones still. But, you know, it. Uh, who knows? Like that Getting involved, I guess, with the uh, Department of Fish and Games, a whole different story, and having the right people to uh, – connect those, make those connections, you know, where you guys kind of have the lunker share. So there's somewhat of a connection right there, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm afraid that social media has taken the place to people, to people interactions. And I think there could be some liaisons that will take biologists speak, which maybe is a little bit much for folks and, and turn it into lingo that the fishermen can understand. And, and then if you get some people to pair that, I'm sure you have a California fishing forum or something similar yeah. you know, to, to speak the truth. 
and I could spend all day on there correcting, you know, <laughs> science mistakes, but I'm not going to. And, and most people don't because, you know, internet wars don't get you anywhere. It's, but it, it's a shame to see some, some rumors just pass and pass and pass and stuff that's blatantly false because that's not helping the fishermen and that's not helping, um, it's not helping the biologist to have a message that's, that's not true out there. Yeah. I mean, even holding a fish is a big thing because you always see people, well, what's the proper way to hold it? You're going to break the jaw. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure you see that yeah. like a son of a gun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no. There was, yeah, there was a spate of broken jaws here. But, you know, I think over time we've got better about that. And um, there are a lot more people fishing the same resource. I think over time a lot of these lakes are going to be ha- have to be rehabilitated. I think there's not a lot of dams being built anymore. And, and so a lot of these lakes are going to need to be drained down and structure added and refilled. And you can't deny the fact they're 50 or hundred years old. It's time to refresh a lot of that structure and, um, and, um, and redo the fishery. Do you have a certain structure you like to put in your lakes or like certain points or certain, you know, uh, um, things that you really like and think, man, this is a good thing for I like to get 20% you know, uh, complex structure. So, um, brush piles and that sort of thing. Again, I like huge brush piles that are long and skinny and tall. I don't like random trees dropped off in the middle of the lake. And the reason being we've shocked almost 200 bass off a single Christmas tree before in a lake that didn't have a lot of structure. And so if you didn't know where that structure was, you know, the fish are going to be over there and you're not going to find it. So the little bits of here and there, I, I don't like structure like that. I like big structure that everybody can fish. Yeah, but I mean the secrets are great, huh? <laughs> those secret little little Christmas trees are are the ones that hold them all for you on those big public lakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. As an angler, yes. As a manager, no. I want all my fish where the owner can go find them. And so yeah. I want to put, I want to take ten to twenty percent of the lake and put eighty or ninety percent of the fish in those spots because um, you know they're they're the fish can only hold so many pounds of fish. I want them where they're targeted. That's the, usually the biggest place that they like to hang out is that brush wherever you put it in the middle of the lake. Well, it depends on the season, you know, pre and post spawn and spawn and, and all that. But they hang out at different spots at different times of the year. Do you have an opinion on bed fishing? How bad is it? Oh, I don't think it makes any difference at all. Really? In, in my world, you know, in a public world, it could be different. So. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, people always say you're ripping the, the fish off the bed. You're kind of. Well, if you, if you don't put it back, well, it makes a difference because yeah, well, I mean, you know, well because the thing is, is like you, you're uh, you got tournament guys that are ripping fish off beds all day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, but I mean, you know, think about think about those fish are each laying thousands and thousands of eggs, and only the tiniest of a percent are are growing to be any sort of adult fish or being eaten the whole time. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might go take a couple of fish off the beds, but in reality in a, in a normal bass lake, a big lake, I mean, hundreds of millions of fry are being produced and only, you know, a tiny little bit make anything. So, you know, one less bass having fry probably doesn't make a lot of difference. Again, in the private world, I'd say no difference at all. What's the percentage that make it out? Oh, a fraction of 1%. No Not way. Even that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's really crazy. Yeah. Have you had times where it's been hard for you to get those fish going in your private lakes? Um, yeah, if you have too many big bluegill, they'll all be. So. 
And you put so you you'll stock uh, the hybrids too, the striper as well. All the time, as long as you're a pelleted feeding lake. If you're not pelleted, then I won't do it. Oh, they'll feed, they'll come and feed off the pellets now. If you if you stock a fish that's trained to eat on a pellet, yes. Oh, nice. And you've done a couple. Do you set up those systems as well? Thousands of them, yeah. Yeah. Do they the fish eat the same? Will they bite the same? Yeah. Like if you go fish, it doesn't matter if it's a, a pellet. But if you cut them open, they're going to be full of pellets, not fish. <laughs> it feeds them the same, right? Makes them heavy. <laughs> exactly. That's all that matters. All um, that matters. You can have your steak as a form of steak, or you could have it pureed, but still steak. <laughs> can you give us all all the things your management company does? Like kind of list everything that you do, so people. Yeah. Know. Okay. So so Lucko Ranch has been around for for twenty years, and uh, and we do private fisheries management. The fisheries management is what we do. So that encompasses fish stocking, electrofishing surveys, uh, weed management, plant management. Um, that includes the planting of plants, uh, fountains, aerators, docks, uh, and then the construction and the design of, of private bodies of water, um, aeration systems. Um, I like to say, you know, we're like a pool company for legs. So, um, you know, if you, if you had a pool, you can just assume the people that come and service that do everything to do with the pool. That's how we are with private bodies of water. That's great. And it's, uh, it's cool to hear from someone that does that. Is there, I mean, I don't know many other people that companies that do what you do. Are you kind of the premier one? Well, you know, my competitors might disagree with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's 41 companies that do what we do in, in kind of our area. And oh, uh, wow. yeah, I would like to believe that we are the premier company in our space. Yeah, that's great. Well, uh, if I'm going to be out in Texas, hopefully in the next uh, three or four months, I'm not sure where I'm going to come doing live podcast, maybe a, we could link up and I could check some stuff out. It'd be awesome. You yeah. Know? You should go on an electro fishing survey. It'll change your world forever as a fisherman. Oh, I guarantee it. Um, where could they reach you guys at if they want to uh, see anything about the company? Do you have an Instagram? Do you have Facebook? Anything like that? Yeah, we, we probably have all those things. Um, and, uh, and my marketing folks would probably like me to know that off the top of my head. But generally, if you go to our website, and that's luckoranch.com. Now, it's a funny name, and I know that. But spelled out, it's L-O-C-H-O-W, ranch.com. Um, you can look at what we do and look at some of our sister companies, and, and there's videos and YouTube stuff there. And and uh, you, you can learn as much as you need to learn, you know, in an afternoon on your iPhone by perusing the site. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate you coming on, Josh. It's a very interesting podcast. And uh, maybe we'll get you on again and we'll do a round table with some fishermen and do some Q and a and get you on on the zoom to kind of be the moderator. You know, it'd be great. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. I'm here for it. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.